This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Welcome back to Sportsbook. And something that we often hit on this program is the so-called stat revolution, the rise of analytics in all pro sports. Uh, Just a few months back, we had Michael Lewis in here, whom you all know is the author of Moneyball. And he had a lot to say about the analytics and stats revolution. He said analytics, quote, drained baseball of emotion. Very interesting to hear the author of Moneyball say it, kind of the guy who some maybe blame for the rise of analytics. But always a hot topic in sports today and one that I feel like we hear executives talk a lot about. But then what are they really doing with it? It's almost a little bit like blockchain. It tends to be a buzzword. But one place where all of this discussion always converges is the annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. And Sloan had its 13th annual conference just last weekend in Boston. It was on March 1 and 2. I was not there. I'm a little conferenced out lately. But a friend of the program, Alex Reclean, fantasy basketball writer for places like Yahoo, DraftKings, and more was there, and he joins us now to give us a little bit of a recap. Hey, Alex. Hey, um, thanks for having me. Glad to be back. Our pleasure. You are now a recurring guest. Glad to have you back. Um, I thought it would be fun to do a little bit of a review of the conference because it's one of those times when so many big names in the space and luminaries are collected in one place. Now, the same goes for, you know, South by Southwest, for tech and other big conferences. And yet I feel like often Sloan really does have value. You know, I'm a little bit um, these days I'm a, I'm a little bit anti-conference. I feel like they tend to just kind of be a big song and dance and not much happens. But Sloan, there are always a few valuable nuggets. Um, some of the names I'm seeing on the site that were speakers this year, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Mike Leach, the football coach at Washington State, Jeannie Buss from the Lakers, uh, a lot of writers and sports journalists I know, Bill Simmons, obviously, Jimmy Pitaro, who's the new president of ESPN, uh, a lot of big names, and you were there for all of it. Now, let's start with this. Uh, you had some interesting tweets that, that came out of it. I was following along closely, so you're our, you're our useful correspondent on the ground here. Um, You tweeted, Warren Sharp saying that the increased availability of data isn't actually leveling the playing field, but rather providing more of an advantage to the teams that use it well. Quote, I don't get the sense that some of the teams are using data as much as they should. So that's interesting. Now, of course, Warren Sharp is this uh, NFL analytics guy, uh, big on Twitter. Look at this. He has 80,000 followers. SharpFootballStats.com is his website. Um, Tell me a little bit more about this. Obviously, I mean, the whole theme of the entire thing is, is analytics and stats, but But what do you make of that? I mean, I feel like in baseball, we know how certain teams have famously used big data and analytics to their advantage and figured that out. But uh, it hasn't really hit football, has it? Well, so it it hasn't hit football to the same degree that it it has hit baseball. But um, the use of analytics from a professional team is more than just the on-field sort of process. So one of the big things that Sharp talked about is – just the increased win probability from passing on first and 10 versus rushing on first and 10. And a lot of teams in the NFL have, especially last year, increased how frequently they pass on first and 10, um, which, you know, corresponds with a rise in sort of increased data usage. But uh, there are a couple of teams that notably took a significant drop in how often they pass on first and 10 uh, last year. And, and in, for, in some cases that even continues a multi-year trend, but there's also in, in the way that teams use data. One of the things that came up frequently is how teams use health monitoring mm. um, data. 
And that is, I think, a really unequal way in which data is distributed and used throughout the league, which is especially relevant in football when injuries are such an important part of the game. Um, and some some teams are really embracing, uh, you know, next generation analytics in terms of how do they monitor practice and keep their players healthy, and other teams aren't. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in that same vein, I mean, the teams that have success by harnessing analytics tend to become big stories, and everyone knows who they are. Like obviously, with Moneyball, it was the A's, but that was you know a decade ago already or more. But then more recently, the Astros. Uh, we had in here. Uh, former colleague of mine at, at Sports Illustrated, who is the author of a book called Astroball, The New Way to Win It All. Ben Ryder is his yeah. name. And he basically applies the Moneyball rule to the more modern Astros team and says they did the same thing. They did it a little differently using their own um, internal computer system. Now then in basketball, obviously, there's the Warriors, who are like Silicon Valley's team, and they're techified in a number of other ways. But there's now a book on the Warriors called Betaball, same kind of thing, saying that they the team harnessed analytics. There's no primary example yet of an NFL team that has done that. And yet, when we say that, what I've heard from people in multiple sports is sort of like, well— even the idea that, oh, there's only one team doing it and, and that's how they won is kind of a fallacy because if, if you don't realize that there are new, more nuanced, complicated ways to study the data and make better use of it, then you're sleeping. It's like that's not a new thing anymore. Everyone knows that we need to do that more. Yeah, and I mean, I think there, for some reason, the way that that data is used on the NFL level just hasn't become the same storyline that it is in other sports. Right. Um, there are stories about Bill Belichick um, <laughs> f- over the years, uh, over the last couple of years, where on, uh, you know, it's like third and seven from his own 40, but there's 10 seconds left before the half. Right. And, there, you know, there's no chance of scoring there. And there are many stories about how, on those types of plays, he will run a play specifically designed to mess with the other team's um, <laughs> sort of projections of, well, Bill Belichick runs on third and seven 60% of the time. And he's constantly aware of that and calling plays to mess with their understanding and their ability to track this. So to say that the most successful dynasty in, in football isn't heavily using data is right. a bit of a misnomer, but they also have so many other advantages um, that it, it hasn't really become the same story. Yeah. Something else that you tweeted from the conference, and, and it's certainly something that we talk about often on the podcast and I'm talking about all the time uh, on the live shows at Yahoo Finance is kind of the streaming wars and especially what will happen with live sports because what everyone says is live sports is kind of the last reason to pay for cable. It's the last reason you would hold out and not cut the cord. Uh, you tweeted during Sloan, one theme emerging from Sloan this year is that teams and leagues view not sports as one of their biggest, if not the biggest competitor, frequently mentioned Netflix, HBO, and other streaming options. And I was very glad to see this because this is kind of the take I've had for a while that when we talk about, you know, when NFL ratings fell for, for two seasons in a row, although this past season they bounced back a little bit, um, NBA ratings are, are actually down. Ratings for a number of live sports mm-hmm. are down. And people try and always search for some reason that's very, very hyper 
pegged to right now. So the NFL was like, mm-hmm. well, it must be the, the kneeling, the protests or, you know. And what I always say is, no, actually, there's a larger trend, which is just there's more distractions than ever before. There are more options for things to watch than ever before. So maybe 20 years ago, if you're like, well, I'm going to watch TV tonight on a Tuesday night, what is there? Well, there's a baseball game on. But now it's like, well, I can just go to Netflix. There's so much on Netflix. Or I can go to Hulu. I can go to Amazon Prime. Um, tell me a little bit about the discussion at Sloan this year around that, the panel that that, that, that comment came out of or, or that that insight came out of and uh, what's happening there. So, I mean, it, it came up, the idea came up at multiple different panels. You, you had team executives, league executives. Um, you, you had people from multiple different sports uh, all making very similar statements throughout yeah. a, a couple of different panels. So this is really not just like a, a one-time conversation, which was sort of interesting. Um and yeah, basically they, the, the idea that they were saying was they're no, they're no longer in a world where they're competing with reruns of the big bang. <laughs> they, they just, that's not what they're worried about. Um, you know, there are some small set of people who are watching, who are watching these games uh, or who, who are watching live new television shows and talking about it online, but most of, but mostly people are just sort of binging things. They're going ad free. And if your game is slowing down, or if you've got two terrible teams in a prime time location in a prime time game, and they don't have any chance at the playoffs, you're going to get a lot of fans just turning it off and, and, putting on whatever the next episode in their streaming thing is. Um, They were all very concerned about it. It came up with regards to uh, another sort of sub theme of the conference. I felt was sort of rule changes in how Hmm. leagues, how leagues want to change their rules to keep the game fresh and keep the game updated. Got to make it sexy. Yeah. Um, Got to help yeah. them back. And, and exactly. And that was directly related to this conversation of streaming services. Um, you know, the complaints about, um, you know, you and I were just talking about has analytics damaged the sport at all. Um, and there are some people who point to shot selection in the NBA mm. and how in the NBA, almost all of your shots are now either three pointers or shots very close to the hoop. Uh, And right. And so is that turning people off? And is there anything that you can do about, um, is there anything you can do about it? And they were talking about that question specifically with relationship to, um, if people are turned off by this set of rules, you know, they're not limited by the a hundred channels that are on Mm. most of which don't appeal to any viewer. They're competing with Netflix where everyone has a hundred shows that's on their list of hopefully someday I'll get to see it. Yeah. Yeah. See, but what's Uh, really hard is you, they don't want to alienate the people they already have, the diehard fans. I mean, baseball is going through this more than the other sports, I'd say, where, you know, we're, they're trying to make games shorter, but I feel like they're doing things that would only shave, like, a couple minutes off. 
and the changes are so drastic that it just won't be worth it for the impact they'll have, meaning like the pitch clock, for example, you know, instituting a pitch clock, uh, saying that the batter can only step out of the box a certain number of times, all these little things that I feel like they're more pissing off the purists than they are having the intended effect of bringing in uh, rare or never viewers, non-viewers to the sport. So, so two things on that. One is, did you see the stat from Kirk Goldsbury that I tweeted out where in baseball last year, a ball was batted into play just once every four minutes? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, that just that just thought just sort of really hit home to me. Um, and the other thing is, um, so, so what you were just saying right there kind of ties back to the betting and fantasy thing. Um in that betting and fantasy keep fans engaged. Right. Um, That's the argument, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so there was a panel. It wasn't a panel. It was a presentation um, from someone in, from someone in Yahoo. You guys have been developing a game that you guys just sort of quietly put mm. into your Yahoo Sports app. Right. You didn't really promote it. You didn't really roll it out. Slate. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And you and sort of, you know, I was talking to the, um, I was talking to Kavan, the guy who, who who was in charge of all that, and he was. You guys have been tracking all kinds of data and all kinds of how people are using this game, and he was telling me that. Um, users who set up a slate for this, the slate game um, were coming back and checking the app three or four times more per night uh, that they made that slate than on another, than they would use your app on a normal day. Yeah, uh, and so that it's true. people who, and that people who played that people who played that game, uh, you know, were likely to come back. So I, I think, to sort of get back to, to that issue, betting and fantasy are part of how these teams can compete with Netflix and how these mm. teams can compete with um, HBO is by giving the viewers a stake and, and giving the viewers an extra reason to stay tuned. Um, I've, I've never seen any stat that implies Anything weird phrasing, anything other than fantasy gamers watch more sports right. and are more engaged. Right. Yeah, I buy um, it. Um, and it's it's so fascinating because the NFL in particular, I feel like, has tried to resist for so long. Even though fantasy football is the biggest, you know, fantasy sport, in terms of the betting aspect of that, and especially amidst the rise of, like, DraftKings and FanDuel, the NFL really very clearly, like, kind of wanted to not touch it while also letting it happen and help its fandom. So, for example, like, all the other major leagues actually invested in one of those two companies, like, took an ownership stake. The NFL did not. Uh, and then now, even with betting being legalized state by state, the NFL has been much more cautious than the NBA, where, of course, Adam Silver is a huge flag waver for sports betting and then Major League Baseball. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting the way that teams have both or leagues have both embraced and not embraced fantasy. Um, you know, Silver deserves a lot of credit for um, talking the correct talk when it comes to fantasy and betting and acknowledging that this can be a source for fan for for fan engagement but he in practice has not done nearly enough 
Um, you know, I love Adam Silver. I think he's an absolutely fantastic commissioner. He hasn't done nearly enough uh, to encourage fantasy sports. Uh, an example last night, it literally there were four minutes left in the second quarter when the Warriors ruled out Sean Livingston and said he's out for the game. Literally, their PR department sent out a tweet almost at halftime saying, oh, by the way, one of our players who plays like 20 minutes a night is unavailable today. Um, That is just so counter to the interests of fantasy and betting, and it really turns off fantasy gamers, and it really turns off bettors from engaging in basketball because if we don't know who's playing, that affects how how we play the game how we bet, how we manage our lineups. Um, and the NFL, even though they've said all the wrong things when it comes to fantasy has excellent injury reporting. They right. give, you know, detailed comprehensive practice reports that are accurate, um, and that are accurate, accurate and provide quality information Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of every week. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's a very sort of interesting dynamic of, the team that's the, the league that says the best doesn't actually do enough. <laughs> and the league that, that tries to keep us at arm's length is actually helping us out. Exactly right. Uh, and when we talk about Adam Silver, you know, another uh, a tweet I saw that you retweeted from, from Sloan, you know, Silver was there and said, from 2010 to 2018, among 18 to 34-year-olds, and that's our core mm-hmm. audience, their viewership on pay TV is down almost 50%. I mean, yikes! I don't, yeah. you know. I mean, he's speaking the truth, so at least he, good that he's acknowledging. But I don't know how you sugarcoat a stat like that. That is scary for all the leagues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he he attributes that a lot to the competition with streaming, right? He um, he he had a great line right after he said that, um, where a lot of those people. Those aren't cord cutters. Those are cord neverers. Yes, um, there's cord nevers. So there's cord cutters, <laughs> which is people who were paying for cable originally, then stopped. Then there's cord cheaters, which is people who are using someone else's login. And then cord nevers are people who I believe are, would, they'd have to be much younger than us. You know, we're 30. Yeah. Those are young people who they've never paid for cable in their life. So it's not that oh, they cut I've the never cord. Heard this firm. Yeah, it's not that they cut the cord. They were never corded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd never heard this term. I thought it was great. I was going to give him credit. Apparently, apparently yeah. it's already a term. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and it's great that he has that insight and that he has that understanding that that's, that that's such an important part of his audience, because if you don't recognize that, you know, getting back to how teams use analytics, if you don't know what the stats are, you can't adapt to them. Right. Um, and the fact that Adam Silver knows this and is willing to talk about this publicly at this large conference, um, I, I think that sets the end and it puts the NBA in a position where even though they, there are parts of this environment that are tough for a league, they are so well positioned to move forward because they have someone who understands the data and what it means and, and that numbers in themselves are just clues. They just help. They don't, they don't do anything on their own. They are pieces of evidence that try to um, tell you how to behave. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all the leagues need to acknowledge this and wake up to this new reality. Um, 
I'm so glad we got into fantasy, too, because that really is your, your sweet spot. Uh, let's wrap this way, though. Is there anything else that, that came out of Sloan that we haven't talked about that you found interesting? Anything that stuck with you, a takeaway? Uh, because, as I said, a little bit cynically, you know, every year at this conference, I feel like the theme is sort of like, hey, viewership is rapidly changing. Oh, my goodness. Fewer people are watching live sports on TV. We need to adapt to that. We need to adapt. And then, wow, analytics are so important now. We need to take advantage of that. Um, Anything that sort of has shifted or anything uh, new to this year? Um, I I think that this year there was, I, I sort of mentioned this already, there was a real growth in, and understanding amongst team and league officials on how to use analytics to inform making the game itself better. And there had been hints of that in previous conferences but um that was a real shift that you had you had all these people willingly talking about no we need to keep modifying the the rules to the leagues to keep the leagues healthy um and here's what the data says and here are ways that we can use that data it was a much more um well-grounded conversation um, and I, I mean, to me, the most interesting thing is always the Elon ending, um, mm. which is a, a better way to end basketball. And every day that basketball is played and doesn't end with an Elon ending is sad. It's a way <laughs> to end every single game with a made shot. Um, it's really a way to define that for everyone who's listening the the Elon thing. The Elon ending says that basically you run a timed game for the first, say, 44 or 48 minutes. And then when there are four minutes left on the clock and you turn off the clock, you add, say, eight points to whatever the winning team has. So if the, if the score after 48, 44 minutes is 100 to 95, then the game becomes a game to 108 points. Wow. And the game will always end at a hundred the end will the game will always end on a made shot and you get rid of teams slowing down the game yes, constantly which I fouling hate. right slowing down the game constantly fouling to try to get extra possessions and slow down the other team's scoring um they've been using this in some other tournaments the basketball tournament has started using the elam ending and they've got some great data now that they've been able to incorporate this into a tournament. Um, it's just, it's such a better system. And my dream is that someday the NBA will use it. Wow. And that came out of, isn't there like either one person or one blog that kind of created this concept, suggested it, proposed it? Yeah, there's a, there's a guy, I, I don't have his card right on front of me. His last name is Elam. Um, he's a professor. Um, I want to say at ball state and he, this was just his idea. He, wrote a couple articles about it, created a slideshow, started sending it around. He's yeah. been working on it for about 12 years and has gotten some people to take it pretty seriously. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Look at this. So many headlines. The Elam ending is the best thing that could happen to basketball this century. It's just one. Headline. Yeah, it's amazing. Zach wow. Lowe has a great article on it from a couple of years ago. If you just Google Zach Lowe, Elam ending. Great. 
All right, really interesting. Um, I'm glad you went for us so that I didn't have to. Um, some interesting stuff came out of that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this is stuff that we'll be watching closely, especially, you know, the streaming wars are so fascinating to me. Um, mm. So many of these standalone platforms now, and what I always wonder, I just asked this yesterday on my Twitter, but when are we going to hit the point where, you know, everyone agrees, like, wait a minute, I'm paying for so many of these things where the pendulum actually might swing back and cable starts to look pretty good. Because you're like, oh, I stopped paying for cable because it was too expensive, but now I'm paying for eight different streaming platforms. You know, ESPN+, HBO Go, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix. Um, I think that time is coming. And then obviously along with it, you know, soon when, if and when live sports can be integrated into those streaming platforms, that's when cable Mm -hmm. TV is really in trouble. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll be watching all this stuff closely. We'll have you back on to talk about it. Alex or Clean, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having Good me. stuff. And uh, listeners can follow Alex Reclean. He is at Reclean on Twitter, R-I-K-L-E-E-N. And he writes for places like Rotowire, Yahoo, and DraftKings. Okay, we want to hear from you on what you think about all this stuff. Specifically, what can the sports leagues do to stanch the bleeding as live TV viewership declines? Obviously, they know about it. At least they're acknowledging it. At least they're awake to the issue and they're trying to combat it. But I don't know if little rules changes or uh, you know catering more to fantasy and betting is necessarily the solution. Uh, maybe it's just unstoppable, the rise of uh, so many distractions. That being said... They're all making money hand over fist, and none of the big pro sports leagues are going away anytime soon. Thanks for listening. Remember that you can rate, review, and subscribe to Yahoo Finance Sportsbook on any platform where you listen to podcasts. And we come out every Thursday morning. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.